following audio drama is rated PG for pretty good. You should experience lots of explosions with no body parts and a couple of swears. Parents should be ready to cover their ears. Since March 2007, one online audio production group has pushed the boundaries. Broken Sea Audio Productions presents Maudlin. It's Sounding Board. Audio drama with you have been listening to Jake Sampson. Broken Sea Audio Productions presents. My name is Feedback, and these are my stories. Last time on Gaia's Voyages. This is the Broken Sea Audio Productions of Escape from New York. OTR Swagcast. Doctor Who. Starring Mark Kalita as the Doctor. BrokenSea.com. New audio every Thursday. They serve so we can be free. For the men and women of the coalition forces serving overseas. Just living day to day can be draining. An email, letter, or package from home can be a wonderful escape for a serviceman or woman who is living with constant danger just outside the barracks door. That's why the member producers of AudioDramaTalk.com are banding together to send our servicemen and women an MP3 CD loaded with hours of great audio. It's not much. But it's a small token of our appreciation for their sacrifice. This is Greg Taylor of Dakota Ring Theatre. This is John Bell of Bells in the Bat Free. This is Fred Greenhalgh of Final Rune Productions. This is Julie Hoverson of 19 Nocturne Boulevard and Reality Productions. This is Jack Ward of the Sonic Society and Electric Vicuna Productions. This is Paul Mannering of Broken Sea Audio Productions. This is Jeffrey Adams of the Icebox Radio Theatre asking you to please help us finance the Sounds for Soldiers campaign. At sounds, the number four, soldiers.org. A small tax-deductible donation can help us band together and send a thank you to the men and women that banded together to protect our freedom nearly a decade ago. Visit Sounds for Soldiers. That's Sounds, the number four, soldiers.org today. And for all of us, thank you. Broken Sea Audio presents Doctor Who Behind the Sofa Hi, this is Paul Mannering of Broken Sea Audio Productions. I'm here today with Stevie K. Farnaby, director and sound engineer extraordinaire of the Broken Sea Doctor Who series, and the star of our show, Mark Kalita, who is in his seventh year of playing Doctor Who. Together, we are going to take you behind the scenes of the first of the Broken Sea Doctor Who stories for 2010. Written by me, it's From the Inside. The following behind-the-scenes chat includes spoilers for this story, so please listen to the three parts of the story first. We like to include Easter eggs in our Doctor Who stories. One of these is the title itself. From the Inside was a concept album by Alice Cooper. First released in 1978, it was Alice's second album and dealt with his experiences in a New York sanatorium for drug and alcohol rehabilitation. 
From a story perspective, I've always wondered, what does the Doctor do when he's not tearing around the universe and having adventures? We know that the TARDIS has rooms of all kinds, so we started out with the Doctor going through a normal morning routine. And Stevie, if you want to talk about the FX design that you did, and we'll, for that opening sequence with the bathrooms and everything. No. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for that. This is going to be a really short show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, this is Stevie. Um, yeah, that first opening scene of the episode really set the tone, I thought, because basically what we've got is um, clearly the Doctor's going to have a sort of semi-normal life aboard the TARDIS. And um, so what we did was we, we got him sort of waking up in the morning with the alarm clock ringing, um, going and showering, and, of course, the Doctor's shower... Um, or rather after he's, he's had his shower, in fact, of course, wouldn't he wouldn't dry himself, I don't think, with a towel. Um, so I invented this whole sort of almost automatic drying system <laughs> in the background. Um, and he's brushing his teeth and sort of spitting the toothpaste down the, down the sink. <laughs> I threw in all these oh, yeah. sort of like really weird sort of little subtle touches in there. Um, that sort of made me sort of chuckle a little bit. Um, that also extended to the to the music that's actually under that scene as well. Um, pretty early on in the story, I realised that uh, within the script there's lots of references to theremins, and so I went out and, and physically did this huge search for different types of theremin music, all different styles. Um, I've got loads of modern-day type electronic music, and, and then I got some sort of really odd stuff as well, you know, really weird sort of strange alien sounds. Um, but obviously for this particular scene, I found an absolute corking song <laughs> and, and sort of re- really brought out the comical sort of almost eccentric side as well of the Doctor, I thought, in that particular scene. Though having the um, a towel would have probably been a real good uh, Douglas Adams connection too. Yeah, it could, it could have been. Have been. Done that <laughs> it would certainly be a challenge getting a good sound effect for someone toweling off, though. And I exactly. think Stevie Stevie was very clever, very masterful in uh, coming up with the whole uh, electronic drying device to to really um, bring this into the future, as it were. It, it just it makes yeah. sense. I mean, certainly, I mean, no argument there. Yeah, I mean, certainly the um, all all the other elements within that particular scene are kind of fairly sort of normal, regular sort of stuff that we all do nowadays. And so, so he's brushing his teeth the same way the rest of us would brush our teeth. He's got the standard alarm clock that the rest of us would have. You know, even the shower itself, when that turns on, it's running water just like anybody else's shower. It was only that one little section where he um, where he's drying himself off there. I thought actually, it could maybe just. This scene could maybe just do with that one sort of futuristic um, alien touch, and I thought drying system. Got to put the drying system in place. <laughs> Was yeah. that your cat there, Paul? <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> Gonna have to get some recordings of that. <laughs> I just have. Tack it into the show. <laughs> so then we move on from that to the Doctor going to the library and which is obviously something that has been referred to a lot before. Um, and from a script writing point of view, 
just creating um, like a catalogue, if you like, you know, alphabetical names that the Doctor would have gone through, um, you know, all the different titles that he would have found in his library, and he's like scrolling along as he's walking along a bookshelf. So, you and know, you have I, the Blake Bluth. I was going to say, that's that's something that I was very amused by, and to me it harkened back like to the old classic Star Trek when you've got someone like like Spock or, or Kirk and uh, they're in a discussion about you know famous literary authors and uh, they'll talk about Dickens and Melville and Shakespeare and then like you know Fionis the Bard of Xtuple 3 and they'll throw in like some sort of alien name in the context of all of these other established authors that people have heard about and it was a lot of fun for me reading the script for the first time going through and saying okay yeah we've got this normal kind of of opening and uh which actually r- suddenly made me think of uh ferris bueller's day off when yeah. when i first read that and it was really neat to see that you know everybody knows the doctor is this this intergalactic hero and here he is just doing such a very very normal kind of routine and you just suddenly stop and think well you know what he's 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 a regular guy really when it when it's all boiled down to it and that i thought was so cool and such a neat fresh way uh to launch this this new season you know we're we're obviously working with uh you know we've got new a new writer on board we're uh we're shifting our direction a little bit the style's changing a little bit and uh you know this this new opening i thought was a really great way to kind of jump feet first into it yeah i mean there's um i think the tendency for for most people would have been to sort of start the season off with this almighty great big bang something quite high energy based you know a real sort of grab the attention type opening but I actually think this really subtle sort of showing the doctors I suppose you know in big quotation marks uh, normal life um, it that had actually more impact I think than sort of starting the season off with an explosion mm-hmm. it certainly for me set the scene of the rest of the story where the doctor isn't in a situation that he's fully aware of um, he finds himself obviously trapped in this Worthington hospital and he got there through a doorway in his library and the doorway wasn't meant to be there. So we get into that whole Alice in Wonderland kind of theme and, you know, what's real and, and what's fantasy and where is he really? Um, and so he finds himself unwillingly in a mystery and in an adventure that's not of his own making. He didn't arrive somewhere and decide, right, you know, let's investigate, let's help, let's get involved. He was he's trapped there, and so he has no choice but to follow the clues and ask the right questions and deduce exactly what's going on. And I actually, yeah, thought- all too often you have uh, you have shows that every episode you've got to you've got to go somewhere, you're traveling somewhere, and in, in effect, you're you're here, you're you're in the same spot, and. Uh, the fact that the TARDIS has so many multiple dimensions in it that you can you can be doing all of this stuff 
but when you think about it, you're still technically in the TARDIS. You really haven't actually gone anywhere, yeah. and that was an interesting convention. Yeah, yeah. for me, for well, me that, that, that was an idea to, to completely sort of open it up and say, you know, what happens if your TARDIS gets hijacked? You know, there's so many rooms in it. Who's to say that there couldn't be an entire hospital in there? Or if someone hacked your TARDIS, is there a reason why they couldn't create rooms um, that would be somehow within your TARDIS or within that space? If it's that big, then who's to say what, what are the limits of the TARDIS inside? Yeah, and I mean, that whole concept of the TARDIS within a TARDIS, um, for me, was just absolutely inspired. And I love the idea that you haven't actually, that even when the Doctor sort of leaves his own TARDIS and goes into the Monk's TARDIS, um, first of all, it, it really made me laugh, the fact that he actually appears through a toilet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and secondly, one of the things I did on a production side of the production side of things was that even when the Doctor's left his own TARDIS, if you listen very closely, you can still hear TARDIS sounds in the background. Yep. And I put them in the mix, very, very low in the mix. And I also tweaked them as well. I added um, all sorts of effects onto that particular TARDIS. Even though it was very, very quiet in the mix, I added a ton of effects onto it and really distorted it as well. So the TARDIS sound that you do hear when you're in the hospital very low down in the mix it sounds different to the doctor's own TARDIS and of course the whole idea of the TARDIS within a TARDIS also inspired um, the new logo that we're using on the website as well which was um, obviously I, I kind of I, I actually tailored uh, one of Bill Holweg's old designs and created this sort of new new piece where you've got the you've got the TARDIS echoed, which sort of mm. neatly ties in with the storyline as well. I like what you did with with Bill's logo. Um, I mean, certainly when he first came out with it, I thought mm -hmm. that was probably the coolest Doctor Who logo I've ever seen, and mm -hmm. I was really flattered when he made that for me. But you know, again, the show is evolving just like the BBC show is evolving. Absolutely. And the, uh, what, you, what you did with it in having the kind of uh, uh, like echoed image, that almost like transitional uh, mm -hmm. sort of dimensional movement that you show in it, and the fact that you've made it black and white, I think me, uh, makes a really terrific connection with the vintage, who, the classic black and white Doctor Who that I think we're going to feel a lot more elements of. You know, we've, we've had, obviously, a lot of uh, connections with the last, uh, last few BBC seasons of the, the new Who, as it were. But uh, I think it's, it's going to be nice, in a way, of hearkening back to even some more of the, the vintage stuff, some of the old black and white stuff. And I think we're going to see... Uh, a lot of a lot of little elements and subtleties of that coming up in the episodes to come. I also think um, maybe perhaps our new companion is kind of an echo of the classic series as well. Oh sure. You know she she's got more of a sort of 
she's got kind of a cross between the old style com- sort of screamer companion and the new style companion that's like a whole lot stronger as a person as well yeah she's certainly um in later episodes she comes into her own and proves that she's more than just a you know someone to bounce dialogue off for the doctor um she comes up with solutions and questions and really develops her own personality and becomes quite a strong figure in the story um and it'll be good to see you know what happens in others you know the next season with her as well Um, there's a lot that we could do yeah of course yeah I think people will listen to from the inside and some of them might be kind of looking like, well, okay, we've got this, this new companion we don't know a whole heck of a lot about. And by the end of it, it's still kind of sketchy what Amanda Waterfield is about. But certainly for those listening uh, to this, I can tell you there's there's a lot more to come about her. We're uh, we're definitely going to be fleshing her out in the episodes to come, and uh, I, I think she's definitely going to come into her own as as quite a well liked and uh, definitely one of the better rounded companions that uh, the Who Mythos has seen. Mm-hmm. Well, she's certainly got the legacy of Victoria Waterfield, which was introduced last season. Um, you know, with her grandmother and things, so she's got a lot to live up to, and she can certainly go a long way. Oh, I agree. That's looking cool. again at <laughs> looking again at the um, the story that we've just produced the uh, from the inside, there was other elements too that um, created a difference in the standard scenario. Um, the doctor trapped in this Worthington Hospital s- situation. Um, he talks about the TARDIS and everyone says, oh yes, you know, you talked about that all the time, but we know it doesn't exist. Um, he tries to use psychic paper and they just stare at him blankly and say, well, it's a blank piece of paper. Um, his sonic screwdriver is also nowhere to be found um, and he's basically told that it's imaginary. So he's reduced away from all the usual sort of tricks of his trade that have become quite common in the previous episodes um, by R.T. Davies to relying once again on his intellect and his wits and doing everything he can without all these fail-safe devices. I mean, there's a later scene where he has to pick a lock manually. Fortunately, he can do that, but it's nice to be reminded that the Doctor does have those skills. And I appreciated that when I saw that in the script. You know, I, I love the BBC show, but it just it seemed for a while there that any time you had a problem, boom, out comes the sonic screwdriver. You've got the instant solution to anything. And that was actually starting to irritate me a little bit. So cheers to you for that. Yeah, and yeah, really... it was something I picked up from other fans of the BBC production as well, that they'd said that, hey, you know, the whole, oh, look, let's pull out the sonic screwdriver. It can do anything. It was getting a bit old, and they were getting a bit tired of that. I mean, and there's the other side of things as well, which is that there's only so many times that you can go back to the well. You know, in, in my instance, from, from a production point of view, there's only so many times you can use a sonic screwdriver sound effect before it becomes exactly. boring. Um, and so picking the lock was kind of interesting for me to put in there as well, sort of from, from a production point of view. And also, we, we addressed the idea that the Doctor... Um, 
his arrogance was also addressed. Um, and then Butterworth, of course, turns around and says, you know, you may be all that, but here you are, Mr. Foreman. You know, you're just a regular human being. Um, and I think that was quite an eye-opening splash of cold water in the face for the doctor in this episode because you know he he is all these great things he has been worshipped as a god and yet here he is you know perceived by these people around him as simply someone with a psychiatric disorder and um, the thing that enforced that as well um, for me was actually Bruce Busby's performance um, when I was producing I was listening very, very closely to the way he was voicing his lines and there is this real subtle change in the way that he perf- you know, at, in his actual performance where he starts out as kind of very sickly sweet um, and then turns into this humongously menacing character Yes, he was brilliant Absolutely. The supporting cast on this were great Oh, fabulous. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. We couldn't have got a better cast. Um, and, of course, there was, there was the likes of um, Stephen as K-9 as well. He did an absolutely amazing job in that particular role. That was brilliant. There were a couple times I heard lines from him, and I had to kind of give him another listen because I was wondering if you were substituting John Leeson lines for them. <laughs> Stephen sounded so good. So uh, I, I was very, very impressed. I, I thought this was a great way to, uh, to launch our third season over here. Amazing uh, contributions from everybody. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and, you know, if I, if, I, if I might just jump back to, to uh, the Butterworth character there as well, was um, during the, the whole sort of um, electrocution-type sequence... I mean, wow, the guys... He, he was almost like Hannibal Lecter. It, it's, yeah. His heart rate never, ra- never raised at all. He was just completely in control and calm and collected. You know, he was really terrifying. <laughs> Those are some yeah. of my favourite villains. I, I like the ones who yeah. can torture you and do bad things, and you can tell their blood pressure doesn't even go up a blip. They are yeah. just that wicked... Cold that they can clinical. do it and just be so cool at it. Yeah, Bruce was great. Absolutely superb. I mean, when I was doing those um, electrocution scenes, there is, I mean, they, they were a lot of fun to do uh, <laughs> from an, from an, an effect point of view. Because um, one of the things I wanted to do is I wanted to attach that to the, the sort of theremin-based stuff. So you hear the theremin rising and falling in the background which I distorted quite a bit as well to kind of give it that sort of almost alien quality as well you know and there's this huge sort of like struggling going on one of the things that I absolutely loved um, from a you know we were talking about the performances and the cast um, was there was a certain section within there where the doctors grabbed by the orderlies and strapped onto this machine and Klein's just died on that very same machine so, you know, yeah. the, doc- the doctor's not going to be put on that machine willingly. So there's a hell of a struggle going on. And I remember what I did was I shot Mark a quick email. And I says to him, can you give me just, just a few sort of struggling noises? You know, sort of a few sort of oh, oh, uh, type, you know, sound effects that I can kind of put it, drop into the mix and really make it sound like he's struggling, you know. 
And what came back was the most amazing MP3 full of ad-libs. <laughs> it was brilliant. Absolutely. And that, that's a really exciting thing about this is that, you know, we can take a, yeah. a basic script and you can go to Mac and you can say, hey, you know, we need some of this. And you'll come back with these lines, which were just genius. And I'm sitting there thinking, I didn't write that, but that <laughs> is just amazing. And it fits so well. And it really made that scene because it was so clear that the doctor was fighting for his life Absolutely. in the background and he was really struggling. It was it was superb. I mean, like I said, I only asked for a few sort of sound effects, sort of struggling sound effects. It's a huge MP3 full of these amazing ad libs. I opened it up and I thought, "Wow, I have got to use these. These are really good." <laughs> See, I was I was having one of my rare overachiever moments, and I think when I recorded that, it was about mid morning. My coffee had just kicked in when the email came through. And uh, I went back to, to look at the scene, and I'm visualizing what the scene would look like. And I'm looking at Paul's script, I'm thinking, okay. And I'm trying to think, well, all right, if the doctor was in this situation, you know, would, would it be just a real easy time of these orderlies strapping him down and, yeah. and getting him electrocuted? And I thought, well, no, of course not. The doctor's going to be outraged by this. So, uh, of course. you know, okay. And, and one of the uh, other things as well that we sort of know about the Doctor is that he isn't human. So he's going to have a strength there, a, a, an inhuman strength to him as well. So when people are trying to grab hold of him and strap him to a machine that somebody's just died on, <laughs> there is going to be one almighty great big struggle. <laughs> yeah. I can almost imagine bodies being tossed across the room and stuff. The next um, episode where we started out with the library and Amanda looking for the doctor, um, a key element there was sort of how would a library communicate and how would the TARDIS communicate to Amanda through the library, which is obviously part of the TARDIS. So we have these kind of cool quotes like um, the whole Alice in Wonderland thing about going down the rabbit hole and having uh, Damaris doing the, the voice terminal of that and Amanda trying to understand what is the, the library telling her and she says I don't know what you mean and then the terminal says every wall is a door which is a Ralph Waldo Emerson quote and she doesn't really get it but she finds the door but it was it was just a subtle way of the TARDIS being aware of what was going on and trying to communicate it um, through to Amanda so she could go in and rescue the doctor and then, of course, she becomes, in her own way, a victim of the the illusion and becomes part of it, um, which leads to K9 making contact with her um, and sort of snapping her out of it, you know, saying, hey, wake up and, and pay attention. This is what's going on. That was actually kind of one of my favourite scenes of these three, um, the three parts. Um, I absolutely loved the way that Damaris had actually played that terminal. She was the perfect sort of balance of being both warm performance-wise and also sort of um, alien as well and maybe slightly electronic-y too. She kind of just grasped it perfectly in the way that she performed those lines. And one of the other things I did was I, I in that particular scene was I added a little Easter egg in the which um, hardcore Doctor Who fans might pick up on, <laughs> which is that obviously Douglas Adams, who wrote Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, actually 
wrote Doctor Who stories. And so what I would do was uh, sort of tip my hat slightly to Douglas Adams. And so when the, the library terminal activates, it's actually the activation code, the book activation code for The Hitchhiker's Guide. That's the actual sound effect that I dropped into the mix, just as a nice little tip of the hat to Douglas Adams. I remember listening to that, and I just stopped for a second. I'm like, wait a minute, I know that sound. <laughs> and I got such exactly, a grin on yeah. my face. That was so clever. <laughs> but, uh, you know, realistically, if you think about the doctor's library, all of the mm. different books and different media that he has, yeah. obviously, he's got to have a copy of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in it. Heck, he's probably researched the odd couple articles here and there that are inside of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, of course, you know, The Hitchhiker's Guide is a book and he is in a library. So, again, it all sort of fits with that scene perfectly. I was going to say, I'd, I'd like to have one of these days uh, have someone walking through through some of the rooms in the TARDIS and have Damaris's voice come out and say, please enjoy your trip through this door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a great voice. Also, uh, the, the idea of it being set in 1946, I did some research into psychiatry at that age, you know, at that time. Um, working around the idea of having these post-traumatic stress disorder veterans and how are they being treated by psychiatry these men who came back from war where they'd seen horrors that they couldn't imagine um, and there was kind of a, a subtle nod there too with the monk I guess trying to punish the doctor and say you know you destroyed Gallifrey you were responsible or you had this role in this time war um, that destroyed everything that was important to us as Time Lords. So I'm going to punish you for that as well by putting you in a in a scenario where you are literally surrounded by veterans of a terrible war. Um, well, that's what the, the mental image that's been created for them. That's part of the illusion. So I did some research into psychiatric treatment and this idea of complete exodontia was actually quite real. They would take psychiatric patients and they would pull out all of their teeth, even the healthy ones, um, and it was called focal sepsis theory, and the idea was is that they believed that people would get bacteria in their teeth, like in a, in a cavity, and the infection that would result would cause brain inflammation and cause all these psychiatric disorders. So. They, they start tearing people's teeth out, even though there's nothing wrong with their teeth. Um, and this misguided belief that somehow it would cure their schizophrenia or their catatonia or their depression. Um, and oddly enough, it didn't work. Wow. <laughs> and that was one of the yeah. most menacing tones and, and, and sort of ideas within this story as well. And um, one of the things I kind of, that, that kind of came out on this was um, that we had kind of a bit of a, a clash in, 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 in the episodes themselves. What I'm thinking of, basically, is um, you know at the end of Return of the Jedi, where you've got the darkest scenes from the original Star Wars trilogy possible, basically, where Palpatine's trying to turn Luke to the dark side. And then it sort of intermixes it slightly with um, some of the more comical moments um, you know, with the Ewoks on the planet. 
And within this story arc, we, we've got a sort of almost a similar thing happening because what we have is we have this, um, you know, these really dark moments like, like the electrocution scenes and, and, and that sort of stuff happening. But then we also have, like, the, there's a quiet room as well in there, which is this really sort of quiet, sort of jolly little place, you know, with this yeah. sort of this jolly music playing in the background on, on, on an old gramophone. And I think it's sort of it, it's sort of um, that that sort of mix between the light and the dark, that clash between the two, and I actually think makes the darker scenes even darker. I think some of the creepiest things that we see in movies nowadays mm. are those those elements that get juxtaposed between something very menacing and something very very light. You know, like the whole the whole evil clown, dark carnival concept, the 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 baby dolls with burnt out eyes and and those kinds of things, and something just like you know a little lighthearted tinkling music or or something like that in the right situation can be amazingly menacing. And we, I mean, one of the comical, more comical moments is the bit where they're trying to catch the doctor, and he jumps and he crawls across furniture and he crawls up <laughs> the bookcases and stuff. And in the end, an orderly has to kind of pull him down off the bookcase. <laughs> to the lavatory! <laughs> oh, that was. Again, that was that was just such a funny moment. <laughs> Off to the lavatory, <laughs> and then when he goes back through the toilet to the <laughs> back on aboard his own TARDIS and back to his own TARDIS library through the toilet of the hospital, <laughs> I couldn't resist putting that sort of toilet flush in there, almost like he kind of the doctor kind of flushed the chain on his way through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on the drain that um, thing of his rebellion and his running around and throwing stuff was um, sort of taking I guess paying a little homage to the uh, one ploy over the cuckoo's nest and that idea of rebelling against the hospital system you know standing up and fighting against it and um, doing what you can and that's very that's much what the doctor is about too I mean he's you know well he's he's a champion for for good and and in general lawfulness if you look at it from a, like a time lord perspective he he can be very anti-establishment and really go against the grain in the way that he gets things done also then we had reference to the uh, medusa cascade and um you know there's a rift that the doctor had mentioned in um, bbc productions of the medusa cascade and how he was there a long time ago, and he was he closed it. Um, so I started out with this idea of the Medusa. There was a rift in the Medusa Cascade that the BBC had mentioned in their productions. So it was like, but that was a thing which happened way back, you know, nearly 900 years ago in the Doctor's past when he was very young. He was part of that um, closing of that rift. So we sort of worked on that idea and said, okay, what happens? Why did they close it? Why was it so such a problem? and what might be on the other side of such a rift, which is the, I guess, the key villain behind the meddling monk in the story is um, coming through on that. Yeah, and I love the fact that the, the shadows, you never really do find out who they are. 
And so what you've got is, I mean, the Doctor character himself is actually a mysterious character. You know, you don't really know an awful lot about who he is or where he came from. And sort of the shadows are almost the other side of that. You know, the, the, almost like the dark side, basically, if you take the Star Wars analogy again. You know, they're, they're kind of the dark side. They're, they're sort of um, very much polar, polar opposites of the Doctor himself. Shadows were intended to be a dark force which cannot be comprehended, cannot be seen or understood. They are completely alien, kind of like the um, H.P. Lovecrafts, the great old ones. Mm. You know, if you were to completely un- to see one in its entirety, it would destroy your mind, um, which is what is destroying these poor people who are trapped in this TARDIS um, and are being fed to these things. Their life energy is opening this rift and empowering these alien entities from another reality to come through or to begin to to push through this gap um and the fascinating thing was of course is all this was done before the current season of bbc doctor who so the idea of cracks and gaps and things is um becoming quite that's it (laughs) we had no idea that that the bbc was going to be doing these sorts of things when uh we were discussing these scripts and paul was writing them so uh, you know, it's always interesting when we uh, when we see stuff like this happen, and you know, it may happen sort of around the time that we release something. And I think, in a way, it kind of reinforces that you know we're headed in the right direction. I think, and that we've got some really good creative stuff going. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and the other thing as well was um, you know we were just on about the sort of contrast between the light and the dark sort of scenes the final scene of that last episode we see K9 um, sacrificing himself to save everybody basically and obviously closes the the rift itself um, from the other side Uh, you know dying in the process of course or so we think Maybe, <laughs> or maybe not. Um, the doctor does say that his consciousness is inside the console. Um, he can be downloaded again. Yep. And 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 so what you've got is you've got the um, you've got canine sort of being lost that way, and then right after it is this really funny sort of. <laughs> scene <laughs> this really funny section with the doctor and um, Amanda um, comparing the doctor <laughs> to, <laughs> to more from the three stooges which was also not in the original drafts of the script <laughs> <laughs> which kind of cracked me up I mean the, the giggling between between Mark and Robin in that particular scene just absolutely floor me. Every time I hear it, I just crack up. <laughs> and it comes after this really sort of sad moment aboard the TARDIS. So again, you've got that contrast between light and dark moments within the one scene as well. And um, the other thing that I did as well with that particular part was, um, you know, the, the, the sort of rift closing sound effect is actually comprised of about 40 different sound effects and I've got sort of um, I've got elements of sort of building rumbling in there uh, you know with sort of building destruction when um, when they demolish a building you get that rumbling of bricks and things like that I've got earthquake type sound effects in there 
there's theremins in there. I even put some uh, ticking clock type sounds in there as well. And the, there's loads of things just laid one over the top of another, all with different um, effects actually on the sound effects. And then some of them have actually played backwards as well to sort of give you that feeling that things were not quite normal there with that rift closing. You know, the, the, there's quite a lot of that stuff sort of played backwards. So, so time is going forwards and backwards when the rift is closing. Oh, is that where we inserted the uh, the subliminal messages? You know, listen to Broken Sea Doctor Who. Listen to Broken Sea Doctor Who. Broken Sea, Broken Sea. Is that where you put those in? <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Planet of the Apes rocks. <laughs> Escape from New York is number one. <laughs> Yeah, that's the one, Mark. <laughs> that's it. Someday, 20 years from now, you're going to be having these college kids sitting around playing our episodes backwards, looking for hidden messages. <laughs> the thing is, though, sadly, they won't be doing it in the old-fashioned way. Years ago, I heard that um, on side B of Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells album, there's uh-huh. this sort of demon noise, you know, because, of course, Tubular Bells was the theme from The Exorcist. But on side Creepy B as heck. Album, Absolutely, yeah. Well, side B, there's these demon noises. Now, I heard that if you played that backwards, that it actually says something. When I, actually, sorry, when I was on about like the sad part is that people aren't doing things the way we would, would have done things. If we wanted to play um, a piece of music backwards, we'd put it on the turntable and physically move the turntable backwards, <laughs> spinning <laughs> the records backwards. <laughs> you know, and... Uh, <laughs> You know, just to find out if there's anything on there. Anyhow, this Tubular Bells clip, The Demons, I actually sampled that um, and actually reversed the sample, and it's just as much junk backwards <laughs> as it is forwards. It doesn't say anything at all. It's just complete nonsense. <laughs> you know, you would think with something like that, where it, it would be this demonic speech... Play it backwards and have it send out like positive messages. Drink milk, eat vegetables, <laughs> go to church, say your prayers, be nice to dumb animals. You know, all that kind of thing. I think that would be hilarious. All those Hulk Hogan catchphrases. <laughs> That's right, brother! <laughs> Anyhow, back to Doctor Who. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> So what were your guys' um, favorite scenes? Well, certainly the opener in uh, in the first episode where uh, the Doctor plays Ferris Bueller. That I liked. Um, the the little bit uh, at the end where where they're talking about how, how the Doctor uh, is like Mo. Because back in high school, when we first had access to watching the old Patrick Troughton episodes... That's what we used to call him. We used to go, hey, it's it's Dr. Moe. And uh, that was fun. And I think the way it played out, when I heard the final mix of Robin and I speaking, it just, it sounded very natural. Just the, the laughs and the giggles were just, it, it was very much like we were in the same room. And I thought that was cool. And uh, the other scene that really sticks out for me is when the doctor is meeting with the meddling monk and they're sort of like assessing each other because it's, it's been centuries since they've seen each other and 
they're just sort of like getting closer and closer to figuring out who who each other is and then finally it hits and it's it's one of those classic hero and villain scenes and uh, you know I see you're still meddling in time even though you've dropped the monk's robe and and the monk as well you know youth is doing you credit doctor and uh, I thought that was a really really cool scene it was it was and and again I mean I, I completely agree with the the, the way that um, you and Robin actually played off each other in that final scene was superb and again it was the same with um, yourself and Bruce in, in a particular scene really 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 great performances Paul what about you mate? I was going to say certainly the um, scene where they, he sort of says I, I mean, the middling monk certainly the scene where the middling monk says you fool I nearly had you on new earth um, and that reference to last season with the trap that Olivia got caught in, mm. um, and I thought that was a pretty cool, you know, sort of nod to uh, Stephen's efforts from last year, um, that storyline, and that whole sort of revelation that yes, this is the meddling monk um, was kind of cool. It was like finally we get to reveal what's going on, um, and that whole sort of running away through the TARDIS, you know, to the lavatory um, <laughs> was quite funny. <laughs> and yeah, certainly the the final add-on um, about you know we've just had this hugely traumatic experience. We've just escaped with our lives. People are really hyped up. I mean, humans anyway. I don't know about time lords, but a lot of adrenaline, a lot of stuff. And I know when I get in a situation like that, the first thing I do is get the giggles. And the whole idea of um, the conversation about the the three stooges just fit with that so well because it's like you know you, you're really freaking out still, and you're on that high. And but you know the danger has passed, so you get you just start talking about this absolute silly stuff, and it's really oddly funny, you know. It is. And it is. Yeah, and it, it, I thought that was a great ending, and there was a bit of humour to it. And yeah, but no, I really enjoyed it. I thought what I'd written was one thing, but to hear that come to life with these everyone doing these fantastic roles and Stevie's direction and creating all the the sound effects and everything and putting that together it was just phenomenal um, it was a real real tribute and a, a real honour to actually be able to write the script that was the basis for all that and to see it just made into something so much more than what it was it was nice hearing some new voices too you know we got a, a new season starting you know we've got some some veteran voices and now we're starting to hear uh, hear some new ones I think uh, Kate Donovan was in there, Lee Sands as Grimes and uh, you know these are people you don't really hear from a whole lot in the shows but I, I think they did a very good job and I suspect we're going to be hearing more from them in, uh, in shows to come Absolutely. Of course the next episode um, will be coming up in about a month's time and that should be fun and we'll have to get together again and do another um, chat about this Oh, definitely. Yeah. So look forward to next month's episode, which will be the Medusa Orb, uh, which will be a totally different story. Yeah, it's it's sort of the the Batman thing, isn't it? Same time next week, same bat channel. That's right. Same bat. (laughs) That's right. Tune in again for another thrilling adventure. (laughs) 